Yep, it's live. Yeah, I can hear you. I don't... It doesn't look like it's going to the recording. I did, it's your, I didn't do it. It's your mic. Yeah, you've just... Is it on? Well, there, oh, come on. This is the... This is the double podcast. I just released a, a solo podcast. I can't do another solo like back to back. That would just look weird. We'll just get a get a tech guy. Who's your tech guy? You, you're your tech guy. Okay. Well, that that's not going to work. How is this? In no, no way is this my fault. What do you mean another podcast? No, that's not, no, that's, I can explain that. I was talking to your other co-host about a Pokemon Go podcast, not a Pokemon podcast, not the card game. Pokemon Go is part of your Pokemon podcast. I didn't, see, I didn't know that. I don't know, I don't follow all the things. I don't even listen to your Pokemon podcast. I was talking to him to get him to do a Pokemon Go podcast with me. I didn't think that interfered with your Pokemon podcast. I'll let, I'll drop it. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. The Rocket League pod, that's different. Okay, when I was talking to your Rocket League co-host about a Rocket League podcast, I didn't know you were doing a Rocket League podcast. I thought it was like a Rocket podcast. Like, I don't know, you guys talk about Elon Musk or something. I don't That's it, I think it's reasonable to make that assumption, right? Rockets, Rocket League. Yes, I legitimately thought you had an Elon Musk podcast. I don't people like the guy. I don't know. I don't I'm not a rocket guy, so I didn't listen to that one either. Yes. Look up I will stop trying to have podcasts with your other co host. It's not take over the network. That's okay, that's a little ridiculous. We weren't even gonna use the network name. We we're gonna call it uh something else. Oh, they told you that ASAP monthly is what I was going to call it. That's well, I didn't think they would, uh, they would do that. Okay, fine. I won't make any other podcasts, but this one sign an NDA and a non-compete. Okay. Well, let's just, okay. Just put a pin in it. Okay. We can discuss that later. It's non-negotiable. Well, Everything is negotiable. Hey, here's let's just do this. I don't know that your your microphone's even going to work today, so uh, the people aren't going to like it. Obviously, they want to hear from you some. Um, I'll just do a, sol- a solo podcast. I might have a friend. You know, I'll pull somebody in. No, it won't be one of your co-hosts. I don't. I've already said I'll stop talking to them. I'll just do. I'll do a boxer cast. We'll come back in a few weeks once you've got your microphone fixed. And, um, and we'll sync up then. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about the, I really thought it was a, a rocket podcast. That's on me. I didn't do my research. Yeah, no, no hard feelings. I'll just, it's fine. It's fine. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just take it from here. I don't even think this is recording. So I'll just, once you're gone, I'll hit record. And I'll do my own show. Yeah. Okay. Hey, you too. No, no, you. Okay. All right.
This uh, is the biggest flex. <laughs> we have boxer safety. Good reaction by boxer. Here's the right move from boxer. In boxer's favor. Boxer safety. Uh, we've got a douche town center scenario. Oh my goodness, I just saw it. This uh, is the biggest flex <laughs> in the decider of a show match. Gonna get CJ with the castle age douche boxer saint. That's right. Boxer, boxer saint. I'm back. Uh, you guys thought this would be like a Lazero podcast time. You know, we're gonna alternate, but sometimes you get a double a double batch of boxer and uh, I don't know what I can say, except you're welcome. Right. Uh, we've got a couple things on the agenda here. Probably going to get into Kings of the desert. Uh, some competitive gaming going on there today is it's Tuesday, the 16th. We've got Rome live for the last eight hours. Uh, I've got my hands on it. I'm going to bring a friend in. We're going to talk a little bit about Rome and and what we're doing there of course like always i get hounded with emails and text messages and phone calls discord messages boxer help us with this current map pool we're going to dive into it i'm going to give you guys uh professional tips from myself a professional on what to do with this map pool and finally as we close out i think i've discovered an improvement on our standard build order. Um, it's kind of cutting edge. I don't know that I really want to show it to you guys, but um, but I'm going to do it anyways. I think you guys could handle it. Pretty major changes, uh, some experimental stuff coming out of Reddit. So first of all, uh, before we get going any deeper, I do need some help on this. Obviously, Lazaro's having some uh, technical difficulties. I've got to call in some friends and uh, I've got a lot of friends, so it's not really a, a big deal. Uh, but one guy is uh, close friends. He's one of those Discord friends who you don't really know how he showed up and how we became friends, but we're just there. Uh, my gaming buddy, my pocket, uh, his name come, comes from royalty, is Duke Canada. We do have some Duke Canada music. the royalty hello there you go Duke Canada did you did you like that music Duke I couldn't actually hear it I won't lie to you <laughs> did that work no it didn't but oh, that's the zero's fault for sure I I don't know what he did what's wrong with his mic this week uh things are just falling apart over here but did you hear my intro music yes I did Okay, that matters more than yours, I guess. Um, if it didn't make it to the podcast, it was... It was just By the some, way, this is what a playing a team game with you is like. You know, whatever is happening to you is more important than whatever is happening on the rest of the map. It is. I'm in the front, right? I'm the flank. Yeah. I'm up front. It's most important. I've got to keep it together. You can kind of stay in the shadows, boom a little bit, do whatever. Nobody's coming after you. They're all coming after me. Um Pockets listening to this podcast are just screaming in rage right now. Duke, tell us, tell people about yourself, whatever you care to disclose. Um, 
Yeah. Anything sure. from your home address to your favorite sieves, whatever. Yeah, my PIN number for my bank account. Um, my name is Duke Canada. I am a streamer, or at least I was. It's infrequent at this point. I live in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and I've been playing the game for about two years. Uh, I tend to hang out with Boxer and about a dozen other people on a Discord every night that's mainly comprised of uh, of dads in their 30s. So that's who I am. That's how I know Boxer. And uh, that's how I got roped into this podcast. Duke, name drop. You know some of the some of the pros that you you went to Heidelberg, right? So you hung out. You uh, you had coffee with Tato, is that right? You guys were like, best friends. Um, yeah. So I went to Heidelberg, Germany, in 2022 for the Red Bull Wallolo tournament. Just by a happy accident, uh, I, I had the time to go, and uh, it was a really cool time. We hung out with some amazing streamers uh, like Serums and and um, AR12. You guys might find on Twitch. We met some amazing pros like uh, Tato and a number of others. You guys might recognize. He ended up winning the whole tournament, which was amazing. And uh, I really met a lot of the people working there from from the folks at World's Edge, uh, which is the Microsoft studio that helps run Age of Empires, uh, to just pros and, and casters like Dave and T90. So that was a really fun time. And um, it was really great to meet all those people. They really are as nice as you would expect. So I highly recommend going to these LAN tournaments if uh, you get a shot, you get a chance. You got a front row seat, is that right? VIP. We did. Box. Yeah, th- there is. In fact, uh, if you go back to that stream and you watch uh, the finals, you will find me, Captain Zhao, who is dressed up as a monk, and another streamer named Rokola. Uh, so we were hanging out that whole weekend and actually the following week as well. But we got front row seats to watch. Uh, I believe the the semifinal sets and the final set. So uh, we're actually on camera there, which is pretty funny. So that's Duke. Uh, Duke and I are both in the 1400s right now. We uh, we kind of theory craft all day long while yeah. we're working. And then uh, at night, we put those theories to test and basically smoke uh, a lot of you guys in team games and 1v1s. So we're pretty good. Pretty yeah. good at this game. Pretty fantastic, unless you put us up against anyone with higher ELO, then we just crumble. But that's that's how it works. Yeah, um, that, those are just tryhards. They don't count. Yeah, anybody who's better than me is a tryhard, and anyone who's worse than me is an idiot. Yep. That's how Preach. it works in Age of Empires, and that's how it works on the interstate. Yep, exactly. Duke, why, why Duke Canada? That's obviously not your birth name, I would think. You know what? It's a funny story. Uh, I had a different username as a kid on Xbox Live, and my brother kept playing on my account. I got frustrated, uh, so I made a new account, and I just hit the random generate button. And uh, this is I got, I got Duke of something, and then uh, I just changed it to Duke Canada, because obviously putting my country in my name what seemed like a good idea at the time. And I just, I've never changed it because people just came to recognize me as Duke Canada. And I was like, I'm not going to go through a full rebranding. You know, I need consultants for that. So I've been stuck with the same name ever since. Um, I I, I think other people 
might go through this as well. You just picked a name when you were a kid and you stuck with it. I think that's fair. I like to hear where the names come from. Just, uh, just a pastime of mine. Yeah. Just a people interest. I think, uh, I think one of our mutual friends, Serums, has a similar story where like one of her brother's friends picked her name or something and she stuck with it. Um, yeah. I might have asked her that same question. Yeah. She's been on the pod, right? Yeah. She's been on before. Yeah. She, uh, yeah, she's a good she person like, and a great streamer. She just like slammed some characters in and it ended up being Serums. So she just did it. Yeah. Sarah's one of those people uh, I spent most of my time in Heidelberg with, along with Rokola and Capshaw and those other guys we mentioned. So that was, uh, yeah, she, she's a great person and um, yeah, really insightful. Has, has a lot of good things to say. Well, Duke, uh, enough about your life. Do you want to talk about this map pool? I do. Okay, let's fire up. I'm going to fire up age. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to hear my age. I think that brings some authenticity and some low-fi <laughs> vibes to to this podcast. Yep. Well, would you like me to tell you what the map pool is? I have it open. Go ahead. Tell us what the map pool is. We have the mainstays, Arabia Arena. We have Islands. We have Highland. We have Atacama. We have Golden Pit. And we have Hideout. That's the 1v1 pool. Anyways, what do you think of it? Uh, I'm excited. The last map pool was really good, but this one's not terrible. Um, Obviously, we don't have to talk about... Dude, is your Arabia like the second map and not the first? No, it's the first. For me, Arabia is the second one. (laughs) That's concerning. Do they think that I'm a clown? Are they telling me how you and you did get in trouble with the devs not too long ago. Maybe they're sending I you a I message. Should have teased, I should have teased that. We'll talk about that at the end. My uh, yeah. my run-in with Microsoft. Um, okay, well, that's just weird for me then. Let's talk about... Let's start with Highland. Do we even want to talk about Highland? We can. <laughs> I've played one or two games there. Uh, for those of you that can't picture it, it it's a giant open map with a river running through it. And there's typically one crossing in this whole river. So both players kind of go to the middle early, they wall it off, and then you have a bit of a boom fest, or one person sneaks over, builds some sort of base, and then attacks you with a surprise attack. Because there's enough room for a dock and a transport to go across. There's even yeah. some, no deep fish, but a lot of shore fish. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could dock it, like in Dark Age, if you really wanted. But it's just not that competitive of a map. It, in my mind, it occupies the same space as like a Michi. You know? Yeah, or, it's, a Michi, uh, it's a really fortified arena. Yeah. it's it, You're just booming until Imp, and then you're, you're having some big fight over a shallow crossing. Uh, I'll, I'll be banning this map. But if yeah. I'm not banning it, I might do some arena type strategies. Yeah, I th- I think if you get this map, just go for your cheese. You know, if you want to go like FC unique unit, if you want to go for a monk rush, uh, a siege push all in, that's probably the more entertaining way to play it. I'm not going to say it's the most efficient or the best way to win, but if you want to have fun on this map, that's 
probably what I would be doing. All right. No more of that one. That's a clown map. I'm not even going to touch islands. Island Islands, if you play <laughs> hybrid, if you play water, you know what to do with islands. Um, if not, we're, you're going to ban it. So right now yep. I've got, you're banning Highland, you're banning Islands. Uh, we've got three maps left, Hideout, Golden Pit, Atacama. Mm-hmm. And of course there's Arena. Which one gets your third ban? That's a tough one. I'm not usually an Arena guy. So I would typically ban Arena. But say, you know, I was feeling generous. I wanted to keep Arena open. Probably Golden Pit. If only because the amount of strategies you have on that map are relatively limited. If you don't take the middle, then you're really in a difficult position. Uh, And it's not always the better player that takes the middle. So you can get really locked out if you have a bad sieve. You can't do anything without gold. And uh, yeah, just it, it feels anti-competitive at times. So Golden, go- Golden Pit is uh, you've got a little bit of gold in your base. All the rest of the gold is focused in mid and it's obviously in a pit. Um, you have to go fight for that gold by mid castle. You're going to run out of gold. You can't sustain a castle castle aggression with the gold in your base um, I don't know how many you have but maybe three tiles inside your base and three tiles outside and then the yep. rest of it's in mid that's about right I don't even think you have a full eight tile gold so um, so yep. golden pit's weird I'd probably ban golden pit maybe my ban's gonna go to Atacama Atacama is a scout's dream it's like Magyar's dream You've got some wood lines in mid, like a lot of wood in mid, uh, but it's all spread out. It's easy. The wood lines are relatively thin. You can tower behind them. Uh, it's also a trush. Trush and scouts is the name of this map. There's some wood at your base, but they're very s- small collections, and you're going to run out. So you have to move into that middle area, and you have to secure it. You almost yeah. want to tower your wood immediately. Um, archers can get in behind it and throw you off. It's... Uh, very aggressive map. Scout your opponent early. I recommend playing a scout sieve or playing into scouts. Um, and if you're not going to play into scouts, then tower that wood line. What's your what's your go to on Atacama? How do you play that dude? Yeah, I uh, I think there's two ways I like to play it. The first is what you mentioned. You you play towards the openness with the scouts. You can really take a lot of map control that way. Uh, the other way is men at arms towers. Right, so you you open up men at arms, you put a couple on stone, and you start towering your opponent's wood lines. Then you go into a range. Um, what do men at arms do for you? Just force small walls, make them commit yeah. to the wood line. Yeah, you're forcing them to defend their wood lines, right? And um, a lot of the time, if you get a tower up and you you have men at arms, you can really push them off that one wood line they have on uh, in, in the center and force them onto the, the little ones. So it, it's just, I find you have to pick a lane in this map. You're either going to play the middle, you're going to play the wood lines, or you're going to play towards the openness on the outside. And um, you can't really have it both ways. So you, you kind of got to pick one direction. Towers towers are a good call, even if they're defensive. Just towering yep. your own wood. 
not just with your starter tower, but with a few on on stone. Yeah. Um, it's a very fast, very aggressive map. You want quick uptimes. You want military numbers. You don't want to play greedy because you can really get punished. It's hard to even say. wall. It's hard to even wall your base because yeah. there's so much openness. So, do you have a sieve gonna, you like on Atacama? I would go with Magyars. I think Koreans are probably good. Your villagers have the extra line of sight, so you can detect people trying to tower you or pull some clownage. Yeah. Um, Magyars have the scouts that are cheaper, and they have automatic damage upgrades. So um, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. Recently, I would say Malians probably feel kind of nice. You get some wood savings. Maybe you can go up faster. Um, and they're a, they're a great cavalry sieve. What do you think about Celts here? We've kind of been poking around Celts the last few weeks. I think they're a slow sieve, so they're not bad, but you're going to have to play towards the middle. You're not going to want to play the outside. Yeah. All right, bouncing over to... We didn't give any sieves for Golden Pit. I don't know that we need to. It's just kind yeah. of a weird map. Golden Pit, I mean, Saracens, Aztecs, Mayans... Any sieve that benefits from a lot of gold is the sieve you're going to want to pick. Uh, alternatively, sieves that have really good trash, like Byzantines, in case you don't take the middle. But you don't want to pick something in the middle, I suppose. I'm also thinking anything with a stone bonus, where you can get castles and towers down faster. Yep. Rians, Incas, Franks mm-hmm. even. Yep. Uh, a castle a castle in mid is huge. There's also a bunch of stone in mid. I think we left that out. So gold and stone down there. Yeah. All right, bouncing over to the last map, hideout. I hear a lot of people hate hideout. They think that it's like a clown map. It's an arena type map. I don't consider hideout all that clowny. What about you? I don't consider it clowny, but it is a map that is a little figured out in the sense that uh, people tend to pick the same sieves on it. So uh, three out of four hideout games, at least at 1,400, I'm running into Bulgarians who are, you know, men-at-arms plus towering me. And uh, that's the game. Can you defend against the attack? So I don't hate it, but that's, you know, what you run into. I do see a lot of towers on hideout. I'm constantly watching... Um, and I've actually started memorizing uptimes so I can tell what my opponents are doing, provided mm. they don't have any um, idle eco time, idle TC time. But I'm watching to see if they went up at 18 pop, they're probably going to trust me. Um, yeah. If if it's more like a 23 or 24 pop, which is rare, then they're going to go fast castle. So those are the two opposites. It's almost like a a, a game of chicken, right? Who's going to trush and who's going to fast castle? Um, I like to play in the middle. I like maybe a 22 or 23 pop men at arms and apply some feudal pressure with archers or skirms behind it and then just try to get to castle as fast as I can behind that. Uh, Maybe even one range. One range and some men at arms, and you can usually get into their base if you hit the archers pretty quickly behind it. Um. I've also do you want to do you want to tell the folks three. listening how to deal with a tower rush? That's not a bad idea. Um, so if you if you're getting tower rushed, 
obviously you want your scout out there to detect it. And you can see the veils coming forward, find the shortest path between your base and the opponents. Um, if you get tower rushed, you can stop it with one tower. Just figure out where they're going to get in, drop a tower that covers that area so that your, your tower is not in their towers range. And then they can't retower that area, right? You're just going to shoot them with your own tower. The next thing you do is you, or even before that, you send three to stone immediately. Is that your is that your path too? Yep. Three really, to stone. Yeah, the name of the game is getting your own tower up, repairing that tower, and maybe thinking about fletching. Yep, fletching can come in clutch. Um, they're going to be sending four to five veils after to do that tower. They should be. So you're already ahead economically. If you send three veils to stone, you still you know, two veils ahead of them production wise. So get that tower up, put another tower if you need to defensively and then start putting farms behind it and get up to castle. Uh, Once you're in castle, you know, if you make, if you survive the towers and you're in castle, I, I would just go knights depending on Mm -hmm. your civ, send knights to the enemy base and start messing with him. Um, Spoiler alert. He's been on stone through feudal. So he's going to be towering his own base or even worse, he might even castle his own base. Um, that being said, you should still have a better eco. So don't overreact. Three to stone. Put one to three defensive towers up and and just keep playing like normal. Yep. Agreed. Good advice from Boxer Saint. Um, I'm pretty good. Pretty good at this game, Duke. I don't know if I mentioned that. Yep. You'll be competing with the Viper soon. Speaking of the Viper and MBL, they weighed in on the topic we were talking about earlier, the build order. Let's jump into that build order. So explain what this fancy new build order is that we discovered. Okay. Well, you can correct me, but I believe the gist of the build order is the first 10 villagers you produce go on to food. So you start with sheep, and then you pull in your boars, and then you continue to put your new villagers on food until your 11th villager. So on the 11th, you go build a lumber camp, and then the remainder uh, build one house, and then continue going to wood. And then you can usually click up around 18 or 19 pop. That's 17 or 18 villagers. And... uh, The big thing about this is not necessarily the uptime, but the fact that the meta, what everyone has been doing for a couple years now, many years now, has been six to food, and then you start putting three or four on wood, and then you kind of go back and forth between adding to berries, adding to hunt, and adding to wood. And sort of, you know, the idea posited here is maybe we've been doing this all wrong. Maybe we should have been putting everything on food, then everything on wood, it's much simpler, and we're up faster. So that's the basic premise. And we tried it out last night. It seemed to go pretty well. It's a very clean uh, mm-hmm. 18 pop. I feel like when you're going the standard route, six to food, three to wood, um, 18 pop is is tight. But this one, I did 18 pop with Saracens or Byzantines, somebody with a generic you know, dark age and edit 18 pop without even thinking about it. Yep. And you, 
And the other thing is I didn't have any problems getting a stable down, um, getting farms down early. So I've done it with scouts. It's very good for 18 pop scouts. I don't know how I'll do it with archers. Have you practiced it with archers yet? I forget. I have not. Um, I did scouts. I just tried it a couple times last night and, uh, it, it went pretty well. I, I think I got out of the build what I wanted to get out, which is really fast up times, really fast military. And then you can kind of just wall behind and you're safe. Uh, it's a good response to really fast up times from maybe Mongol players or, uh, other civs that can get up really quickly. Think Malay. Um, or if you're just looking for a competitive advantage on an open map. But when I look about it from a competitive standpoint, yep. usually when I'm scouting my opponent's base, I'm scouting after their 10th or 11th fill, you know? So what that means is with the normal build order, they've already got their three to four on wood. So I can already get some insight into what they're doing. If they're three on mm-hmm. wood or less, they're going scouts. If they're four on wood, they're going to open archers maybe even men-at-arms or potentially fast castle, but it's rare. So the four-on-wood versus three-on-wood tells me something. If I go by that 11th villager um, and they've got one-on-wood, I don't know what's going on, you know? And yeah. even more, if I circle back by and they don't have one-on-wood, they've got seven, then I'm really confused. What What is this guy doing? Um, I like that aspect to it. I like that you can throw that in and, and mix it up and mess up their intelligence gathering. I agree. Um, I think if it becomes more of a meta build order, people will understand what's going on. Uh, I also think that the build might have a couple weaknesses. And uh, this kind of came up because I was hanging out in MBL's chat just yesterday and I asked him about it. And uh, in a very MBL way, he was like, no, I'm not doing that. No way. And I was like, okay, that sounds like he's not for it. He's not a fan. So today I was in Viper's chat and I asked him and he was like, well, it's just not flexible enough. If I need to go to Barry's, if I need to get an earlier barracks, um, if I need to build another lumber camp, I'm not going to be able to do that. But he didn't seem not open to trying it out. So I think that the pros do six on food for a reason. But those of us at a lower level don't necessarily understand what that reason is yet because we've never had a chance to be punished for it. You know what I mean? Um, We've been doing six on food since we were you know, 700 ELO. And uh, there's never been on an occasion where we open 10 on food. So I don't know. This might be one of those strategies where you just have to try it until you figure out what the flaw is. But the the pros are not a fan. I do agree with the flexibility because there are times when I go into a game and when my third villager gets on wood, Mm -hmm. this is my ninth villager, but when I'm putting that third woodville out, I still haven't decided what I'm going to do. So I might put a fourth one out to go archers. I'm kind of looking at my map, looking, do I have forward berries or forward gold? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still thinking through my sieve versus their sieve while I'm scouting. So 
I get that understanding. I might want a drush. I might want a French drush. I might want a pre-mill drush. Um, but I guess if you were going to go in and, I don't know, you're Atacama and you know you're going scouts, this might work out just fine. You know, there's yeah. no reason to not go scouts. Um, did I say you did I, or did I say that in my head? No, I, yeah, I think you did say that. Um, you know, I will say this is part of a bigger trend we're seeing at the lower levels. And by lower, I mean 13, 14, 1500. Lower than us. Of, yeah, of uh, faster uptimes, right? The French drush, for those of you who don't know what that is, that's the two militia drush. You usually do it on uh, 20 or 21 pop. Is a, a faster drush than most people were used to in the past. Um, you know, this build, you have very fast scouts or very fast archers. We're just seeing those those uptimes get much, much faster. Militaries coming out much, much faster. And uh, I feel like the pros have been talking about this for a year, and only now has it really filtered down. What do you think of that? I think it. I think there's a two-way street. I think there are things that are tried at the lower levels. Uh, that the pros pick up. And then I think there are obviously things that the pros do that we pick up. I think, I think it feeds both ways. There are times where it depends on the pro as well. There are times where they don't want to deviate from the plan. Um, because they're, they're still trying to keep it all together, but then maybe at the top echelons, your Vipers and your Harris and even your MBL. MBL is like the master of, uh, of, uh, what's what's the term? Impromptu, impromptu. Yeah, improv- improvising. Improv. improv. <laughs> yeah, NBA is the master the of improv. So maybe your top five guys want to want to improvise their plans, and the rest of them are are just following what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but then down at our level, it, it, everybody's willing to improvise because we're just we're winging it anyways. We're not good enough to not improvise, um, and I think the pros see that they watch some lower elo streamers just to see what we're doing get some ideas um and i feel like yeah. i've heard i've heard you say that viper said that before right i've heard various pros i don't know if it was viper say that they watch 17 18 1900 players from time to time uh they see them doing something like there's a kernel of an idea and they take that and they run with it. I think it was actually Hera, uh, where he was saying he'll see a 2K doing something. I know relative to us, a 2K seems quite good. But for, for Hera and these other 27, 2800 ELO players, they're not. Uh, so they're doing something that's interesting and they'll run with that. Um, so that uh, the pros do to a lesser extent, I think, pick up on what we are doing, and then turn that into a fully fledged idea or a fully fledged strategy. And I wouldn't be surprised. Like this uh, ten on food build order on Reddit, it was a nineteen hundred player uh, telling us that hey, we we've been doing this all wrong the whole time. That's roughly the elo where a pro might look at this and think, well, maybe there's something there. And if, you know, I, I know this is a later section, but if you've been watching KOTD 
you would notice that almost all the uptimes right now, 16 villagers, 17 villagers, an 18 villager uh, build order is actually considered quite slow. Uh, Viper played a build with 19 villagers, and in an interview after the game, someone was asking him, hey, why did you go up so late? So I would not be surprised if they start picking up on these kernels that are posted on Reddit and turning them into something more developed. That's what I like about this game. It's still evolving. Uh, Some even newer RTSs, they get pretty well settled in, you know. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of room to change the optimum build. Uh, or maybe there's just not enough people poking at it to try it. But there's so many people playing age and so many variations of builds. Even the French drush is kind of new. Uh the the trick with the French drush is you, you drush with two um two militia, which is not unheard of, right? That's kind of a pre mill drush, is the two militia. Mm-hmm. But you do it at the end of Dark Age, not the beginning. And you do that because when you get to their base, you're in feudal. And you've got the two militia like normal, albeit a little later. But now you have a feudal scout who's quite a bit more powerful than normal. Yep. So um, just small little tweaks like that are, are what make this game very, very interesting and continually engaging for me. I don't think you get that in a lot of RTSs. I agree. And... Um... You know, I, I think what keeps this game fresh is the number of matchups you could run into. Like, just in 1v1s alone, if you think about it, there's 1,600, maybe 1,700 matchups, potentially. Like, there's no way you can memorize that number of matchups and how to play them. And then you factor in the maps and the fact that every map has a random generation. And there's millions of ways to play the game, and all that is ignoring team games, right? So uh, I don't think the game is figured out. I don't think you can figure it out at this point. The best you can do is hope that you improve incrementally and you learn incrementally. And I think that's what everyone is doing, and that's what's contributing to a bit of a race to the bottom to figure out how quickly can you get up, how quickly can you do damage, uh, before it's unmanageable from an eco point of view. I was talking to a friend this week who said one of his struggles with age is it feels like you just have to memorize build orders all the time, and that's not engaging for him. And I don't feel that way. I don't know how you do. We're talking about new build orders. We're talking about this 10 mm-hmm. on food, uh, 7 on wood. But I feel like that's just a foundation, and it's not even that hard to memorize it, right? It's a little difficult to execute it and not have idle time. But once you get the basic build in mind, yep. really what you're looking at and what I spend most of my day thinking about is, like you said, with the matchups. It's it's a very, it's a very close game to chess. There's yep. an infinite number of chess board combinations that you can come up with. You know, every piece that moves... Every time you move a piece, you're creating potentially a a chess scenario that's never been seen before, never been played before. And I'm thinking about matchups and unit comps when I'm watching pros and, and non-pros, seeing what why did this combination work? Obviously, yep. obviously if you're producing more, if you've got a better eco, you can you can you can do better than the other guy. But if all things are equal, why did this fight 
sway in this person's favor over another? Was it the unique unit? Was it um, upgrades? Was it halb versus you know cataphract? What what made the difference? Um, and then I'm trying to because in chess they'll often teach you end games first if you're trying to learn hardcore. You'll learn a chess end game because it's a smaller piece of the puzzle. There's just like five or ten pieces left on the board. They'll set it up, and if you can, if you can get a game into that scenario, because that's easier than when you've got all however many chess pieces on the board. If you can force the game into this scenario where it's like a king and two pawns or something, um, you've already played it, you've already memorized it, and you can win, win or draw from that from that position. And I feel like that's missing as we're trying to learn age. We go to the front end and we're like, I want to learn build orders, but really yeah. your build order isn't going to win or lose you the game. What's going to win and lose you the game is when you get to mid to late castle or imp and you don't know how to build your, your comp. You don't know your end game. So the, the build order is just an opening, right? And even then, you know, there's a quote in Pirates of the Caribbean where they say the code is more what you'd call guidelines and actual rules. And that's how I feel about build orders. I mean, it's a suggestion about how you can allocate your villagers in the first few minutes of the game to get the resources that you'd want to open up a certain way. But you don't have to follow it perfectly. And you can adjust things on the go. It's not baking. It's not a science. It's cooking. It's improvisational. So as long as you understand why you're doing what you're doing, why you're putting this much on food, why you're putting this much on wood or gold, then you can play with those numbers and fudge them around. Most of the top guys, and I'm not saying we're that good, but most of the top guys say they don't, they don't follow build orders. They just know how much res they're bringing in when they put a villager here or there. So uh, to your friend who says he doesn't like memorizing build orders, I would say it's just a temporary annoyance. It's just something you do in the beginning. And then later on, it becomes a little more intuitive. Yep. And that's where I think there's room for the, the improvisation. There's room for art. Bill, yep. Age feels like a science when you're at 1K, 1100, maybe even 1200. But now that we're getting into 1400, it's feeling a little bit more like an art. Like yep. I'm really able to just spin, spin some things, get myself in a hole, but pull out of it. Uh, kind of read what the other guy's doing and, and know where to put my res and where to, where to put my, my military at. Um, yeah, rules that you thought were rules are not, in fact, rules. Uh, you know, at 1K or lower, when you're just starting out, people will tell you that cav archers beat halberdiers. And later on, you'll learn that's not always the case. Not if those guys get close, not if there's enough of them. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of things like that. And that's where, you know, I think the famous saying, it depends, comes from. Like, there are no clear-cut answers. There's no clear-cut way to do things. It's just about you and how you're reading the game and what you think might work in a specific scenario in this game, which might never be repeated. You might never be in this position again. But nonetheless, there is an answer, but you're going to need to qualify it. Let's kill. Uh, let's kill that phrase. I hate that phrase more than anything. It depends. I hate it so much. I love it's it. It's like a slogan. 
It's a slogan. It's a stupid slogan. It's a comic. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, take it on, up with the Viper, man. I'll take it up with Viper. T90 uses it a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Dave uses it. Yeah. I'm done. I'm done hearing that phrase. From now on, here's what we're going to say. Instead of saying it depends, we're just going to say it's an art. Okay. It's an art. What do you, what do you, <laughs> that doesn't your, answer the question. Where do you place your second and third TC? It's kind of an art. I can't it's really tell art. you. You just got to, you just got to get there. You got to learn it. Hey, boxer, what wins, crossbows or knights? It's an art. It's an art, Duke. <laughs> There's so many combinations. Can you artfully, uh, you know, micro your archers? Can you artfully get a surround with your knights? How do you, you know, that's that's the improv. You got to improv it. All right. Well, I'll put in a, a request with the pros. It depends is out. It's an art is in. I'll talk, I'll talk to them in our weekly pro meeting. I think that's yeah, coming up. Where they come now. to you for advice. Which it's, it's kind of a, you know, we're all equals. It's a round table type format. So yeah, I'll just, I'll bring it up. I'm the, it's somebody's got to be first among equals. I won't say who it is, but uh, anyway, let's close out with some quick King of the desert. King of the desert is Mem TV's S tier tournament. $80,000 on the line mm-hmm. here. Lots of casters, lots of guest commentators. It's Arabia the whole time. To open, I hate this Arabia gen. The gen that we're playing right now, I'm told, is the King of the Desert Arabia gen. That's why there's all those freaking heels at the front of your base. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can thank Mem for that. I'm, I like the <laughs> tournament. I'm ready for it to be over so I can get a normal Arabia gen. But Duke, you've probably been following this closer than I have. What's what's standing out to you so far? What do you want to highlight for the people? Yeah, the big story of this tournament is how fast this game is being played. Everyone's talking about the faster uptimes, the faster attacks. In comparison to the last KOTD and the one before that, feudal battles are happening sometimes a full minute faster. And it's that speed and the people who benefit from that speed who are doing the best in this tournament. But there have been uh, a couple interesting sets and a couple upsets that uh, I think have been really interesting. So French player Margugu took Vinchester to game five. That was really interesting. Uh, Hart, one of the AM guys, uh, had a number of really close matches against the Viper. He lost 3-1, but... The, the score doesn't do that set justice. Um, a player named Jack, totally unknown to the scene, uh, qualified for the tournament in maybe the easiest bracket of the qualifiers and uh, made a set out of the number one seed, Hera. It, it was, again, 3-1, but you know Jack really showing his props. Uh, so, again, I, I think all the skill levels have been very, very close in this tournament. And it's all coming down to which players prepared the most, who refined their build orders to get up faster, who can micro better at minute 10 when they're fighting or minute nine even. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a very, very fast pace that they're setting in this tournament. And they're really showing that you can't slack off. You, you have to practice or you can get kicked out. I hadn't heard about Jack. I do see that three to one versus Hera. Mm-hmm. I don't know when this podcast will release, but between now and May 19th, 
Jack is supposed to play Kepach for yeah. an elimination round. So winner goes forward to play, I don't know who, but I've personally played against Kepach. Um, I can attest to, he's got some skills. So Yeah, we, we did game. great. It was close. It was, I'll say it was close. Another situation where it would have been nice to have a better pocket than Duke, but yeah, well, I, did, I did what I could. I would have been a better pocket if you didn't die so quickly. You'd have been a better pocket if Capotch didn't have archers walking <laughs> <laughs> through my TC. Um, but Jack Capotch, I'll I'll try to keep an eye out for that one personally. Yeah, that that's been really interesting. I think the French players Sito uh, and Margugu have been very interesting in this tournament. Daniel has been really really strong. Uh, it'll be interesting to watch him. Uh, the Lessa. So those who have qualified for the playoffs, spoiler alert, stop listening now if you're watching these videos later. Uh, Tato, Leary, and Valesa have moved on to the playoffs and um, no one else as of yet on uh, May 16th. So right now it's just the big names who have moved through, but you know it's a round of 16 that people are moving on to and currently there's 32 players in the tournament. So there's a lot of room for upsets. It's like Doubt has a decider match against Velas on the 20th or the 21st. Mm-hmm. Um, Classic Pro and Sebastian are set to duel. Yep. For, I'm assuming that they move forward into the round of 16 after that. Um, those are the only matchups that's set up right now. Yeah. Uh, this tournament goes through the majority of May, I believe. So I'm not sure when... Oh, there we go. The group stage ends on May 22nd, and the playoffs are from the 23rd to the 28th. So it's a long tournament, uh, basically all of May. will just be about King of the Desert. And uh, if you're looking for new and exciting Arabia strategies, this is this is the tournament to watch, where the best of the best will be playing. Boxer, <laughs> the one big question that Memba has been asking everyone is, who do you think is going to win? Who's the number one player on Arabia right now? It's a good question to end the podcast on. Let's do this. Let's toss out Viper and Hera because those are easy, right? It's easy to not bet against Viper or Hera. Mm-hmm. So if it's not going to be Viper or Hera or Tato, Tato just won Red Bull, right? Those three. Get those three out. Yeah. Who do you think is most likely to win? I would have to say Leary. I think Leary's won one of these tournaments and gotten to the finals of uh, most of the others. But if I was to have a dark horse in this, I would say Nikov. Oddly enough. Uh, Nikov has been one of those AM players practicing with Hera, Leary, Hart, uh, and MBL. And he just seems really, really sharp. He's not making mistakes. And uh, he's he's one of those guys I could I could see getting to the finals uh, if the bracket goes his way, but uh, it's a it's a tall order because he, you either have to get through Hera or Viper or Leary or Tato to make it to the finals, right? You can't avoid them all. So we'll see. But it's been a really exciting tournament. Uh, Mem's done an amazing job with his guest hosts and his guest commentators. The interviews have been really great. 
Um, so definitely check out that podcast if you have them or <laughs> that tournament uh, if you have a moment. I'm going to say Valesa is where I'm going to put my money. If it's not Hera, Viper, or Tato, I think I just, Valesa, just some of the games that I've seen him win, even against Hera and Viper, I look at him and I think, why does this guy not win every time? Mm -hmm. I don't know what trips him up, but he just has some really solid decision making. And um, yeah, he's so consistent. Consistent. Yeah, he's very consistent. And when he loses, he's not losing big. It's very tight games. Mm-hmm. So. It could just be a little bit of that Tato syndrome where uh, he throws game seven or he doesn't get yeah. quite as far as you might think he gets. But I would say he's a consistent top eight. He's a consistent top four, uh, depending on the type of tournament. So, it yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I do like watching Vinchester. Vinchester won me over um, a few years ago on some kind of water map with Portuguese. And uh, he kind of fought it to a standstill. And he had, of course, the the Fitoria. And this was a timed match. I forget what tournament it was. And he, he started researching all kinds of technologies to boost his score so that when the time ended, he'd have the highest score and, and win. <laughs> I thought that was genius. Um, ever since then, I've liked Vinchester. He's not playing super great, um, but I'd like to see Vinchester go make a deep run. I would like to see that too. He seems like a nice, genuine guy. And I'm going to say there's mitigating circumstances for Vinchester. Uh, a little bit. A little, little bit. bit. But yeah, he he's a good player and so much fun to watch, especially when he's playing a Civ like Franks. Um, yeah, really, really good player. And I, I hope he has good luck in this tournament. But Boxer, there's one topic we haven't addressed yet. And, uh, you know, I, I think you might, considering it just came out today. Return of Rome. Oh, the man. long-awaited expansion or DLC to Age of Empires 2. What are your thoughts? That was the whole point of us recording now. Return of Rome. Quick in six minutes. Um, Really big fan of the Age 1 port. I think it's nearly perfect. It makes Age 1 so much easier to play. Um, Just the quality of life, having a gate in the game. You can garrison bills in the TC. Um you the hot keys are much better. Uh, obviously, it's on the H two engine, so I think the H one port was great. I haven't played the new Civ over there. Uh, over to Age of Empires two, the Roman Civ feels amazing. I took a men at arms rushed the AI. The AI responded with five men at arms against my three, and I got armor from the blacksmith early, almost immediately after men at arms which counts double, double armor for the men-at-arms there. My three men-at-arms destroyed five men-at-arms, walked away from it, and a scout. So that was incredible. I think the Romans, they're going to tweak them, but if they don't change that armor stuff, they're going to be super strong infantry. Mm -hmm. For those of you that don't know, the Romans are a... uh not a ranked Civ, so you can play them in unranked games, but not ranked games. But they will be ranked eventually once they balance it out. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so that's 
Those are my thoughts. I love the Roman Civ in Age 2 and Age 1. I'll probably be playing a lot of Age 1 because of that port. Well, I'm hoping they bring over the campaigns, to be honest. I, I always had fun playing those. And, uh, you know, it might be fun to play a game where you have a chance of taking, taking a win off me. So, you know, we'll bring competition back to the Discord. <laughs> hey, guys, that, that wasn't a joke. Duke's being serious. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm excited to play it. I have a lot of fond memories of Age of Empires 1, uh, playing that as a kid with uh, you know my uncle and, and other family members who were into the game at the time. So it, it's I, I never really played Age of Empires 1 HD for reasons I don't really know. So uh, having this chance to play it in H2 is, is pretty fun and pretty nostalgic. All right. Well, Duke, thanks for joining me. Sorry, guys, that um, Zero couldn't be here. I've got his promise. He'll get things fixed, and he'll be back in two weeks. This has been good. Duke, we'll bring you back if I ever need uh, another sidekick. Happy to step in. Until then, I, I still don't have I don't have a catchphrase, but um, it's probably something like uh, "keep your gloves up" or something. That's a boxing term. You can yeah, and I'll just keep carrying you until you need me on the podcast again. Okay, see you guys later. I think it's not is never necessary. It is never necessary. Thank there you. Really, though. are people talking here? Where'd they even come from? They're they're everywhere, dude. I don't know. All over the all over the world. Bizarre. All right. Good night.